There is nothing in nature like it, not in robins or bison or in the banging tails of your hunting dogs, not in blossoms or suckling foal. Love is divine only and difficult always. If you think it is easy, you are a fool. If you think it is natural, you are blind. This is Pass the Mic. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23, follow at your own risk. And joining me as always is the president of The Witness, the man, the myth, the legend, the best selling author, Mr. Blue Check, verified himself, Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? Feeling very emotional right now. Man. <laughs> very uh, full of, I don't know, full of love. Ah, so y'all know what it is. We're going to close out the Can I Get a Witness series by talking about the witness of black love. So far, we have talked about the witness of history, the witness of preaching in the black church context, the witness of justice, and the witness of black art. But today, we got to talk about black love. Now, I have to give a disclaimer. We're talking about this from the perspective of two black men, okay? So this is this is a very, very narrow perspective. So we're just going to put that out there. So no, we're not going to cover every aspect of it or all the different elements or people may not see, see be seen and heard in this conversation. So I want to make that very clear from the outset. So that's just a disclaimer. But black love, Jamar. Proud participator. <laughs> yes, I'm an advocate of black love. Come on, man. Card-carrying member. Yeah. How long you been married, bro? 11 years. Man. Yeah. 11 years, bro. It'll be five for me this April. So, yeah. I'm like, man, it's it's um it's a very interesting process, you know, <laughs> marriage. <laughs> process is a good word. Marriage is like it's such a challenging thing, but you know, in general as we think about love love is challenging like love is heavy and so i remember i was watching this show uh or listening to this quote it was a little clip from lonnie love the uh, personality tv personality and she was on the show the real and she was talking about black men and she was talking about how she had problems with um black men dating black men or the entitlement and it just reminded me there was this big conversation about it it reminds me every single year there's one thing i can definitely count on and it's that there are going to be intense conversations about the nature and relationship of black love hmm. like what it's going to what it should be what it isn't why it isn't more uh frequent why we don't have uh some of the harmony that we should have why we have some of the struggles that we we do. Are you talking about like marriage, uh, everything. romantic yeah, relationships? Everything. Absolutely. Marriage, romantic relationships, dating, uh, desirability. Man, all these all these different conversations and contours of those conversations. I can guarantee you every single year there's going to be, and really multiple times throughout the year, very deep, broad conversations about what it means to love and mm. what and the context of love. Yeah, I think for me, it's interesting that, you know, so we started out talking about marriage and, and romantic relationships, because for me, as I think of black love, I think of three-dimensional love, hmm. love hmm. for self, love for God, love for others. Hmm. And all of those acts of love are radical in a context yeah. that has done just about everything possible to dissolve the bonds of relationships between people. Let's talk about love of self, right? Yes. Which I think is a root for how we're able to love others, right? Yep. As you think about love of self, there's this sneaking suspicion, and even with Lonnie, she had even talked about it, this idea that the this the problems that we have in relationships are, are holdovers from slavery. They're holdovers from Jim Crow era. They're holdovers from you know, uh, an era and a time period where we were dehumanized and treated as less than, and that hating ourselves makes us incapable of loving others well, right? And so as you think about self-love and love of your whole Black self, what does that encompass for you? Right. So, I mean, the historical context is blatantly apparent 
um, whether you look at caricatures of black people in visual art, especially in the Jim Crow era, Mm -hmm. or you talk about segregation, not only in the 20th century, but prior to that, which was basically saying to black people, you're not good enough Hmm. to be among us white people. Mm -hmm. Um, To, you know, like, as you were saying, notions of desirability Mm -hmm. and what's considered attractive and the long struggles that black women especially have with their hair and not being European enough, et cetera, et cetera. So we get all these signals all the time. And I, 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 we would be remiss to say, this is not simply historical. This is present day, right? Um, A cartoonist drawing Serena Williams as bestial, Mm -hmm. uh, instead Mm -hmm. of (laughs) properly proportioned, right? Speaks all kinds of volumes about, the subtle um, images and ideas that people have about uh, black physical traits mm, and, mm. and des- desirability. So we're getting all these messages that we are unattractive physically right. and undesirable in all kinds of ways, whether as coworkers or partners or mm-hmm. theological uh, uh, thinkers, whatever it might yeah. be in that context where so many signals tell you, that you're less than, mm, mm. even you're ugly. Yeah. Black people learning how to love their full black selves mm. is an act of protest and justice. It's restoring yeah. what should have been there, which is the dignity of being made in the image and likeness of God. Yeah. You know, as you talk about that, man, I, I've, I think about the fact that I've always, I've always hated my body. Got really, real in here real quick. Go ahead. I have. And, you know, it's, it's something I don't I don't really like talk about, you know, but I've always hated it. You know, I think there was this perception when I was younger that I was too short. Um, Actually, I was I was growing pretty quickly and then I stopped. And then I remember the doctor had told me, you, you're going to be six, three or something like that. And that was like my vision of what a man is supposed to look like. Furthermore, like a black man was supposed to look like. And so I want to be an athlete so bad. So, you know, when I stopped growing, I'm still, you know, above average height. But when I stopped growing, it was like this this moment of like, why why did I stop growing? And I always felt like certain elements of my body, without getting into too much detail, like certain elements of my body were um less desirable and like subpar. You know, and so I was just and it, it really goes back to when I was in middle school, people used to um they would insult me and particularly my face. So they insult my face Mm. and it was always in some way, shape or form, whether they were black or white, it wasn't just white kids, but whether they were black or white, it would always be comparing me to an animal, Goodness, you know? And so it would always be some sort of animal comparison. Wow. Um, And so it, it just really, I internalized that. So I just didn't really have confidence. And even today, like I struggle with having confidence in that area, mm-hmm. you know, like confidence, even like my body posture. Mm-hmm. Like I have back problems because my body posture is like, like kind of hulks down. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm almost in every scenario, not trying to, I don't have my shoulders roll back and my right. head up Just trying to like shrink and my chest. I'm trying to like shrink myself, yeah. you know, because I don't have that love for self and love right. for just the skin that I'm in. Yeah. You yeah. know? And so I've, I've had to grow in that because now I have kids, you uh, know, uh. <laughs> and, you know, being married and having kids, they look up to me and I'm their world. And so when, when, when I come in, it's like a response hmm. and it gives me so much confidence because they don't see the imperfections. Like they don't see hmm. the blemishes in the same way. Wow. You know, as, as you think about self-love, it's like, how are you able to give in a relationship if you, if you hate yourself? How are you able to give properly, freely the love that you don't feel like you deserve? And I think self-love, as you mentioned, it is like the core of that. And it also relates back to core black church, black Christian teaching, which is the Imago Dei. Absolutely. Which is that we're created in the image of God. So we have dignity, we have value, we have worth, um, we have purpose and meaning. And so if God creates us in his image, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. That's always been like a verse for women. Right. Like that's always been used in that context. I've never thought of myself that way. Mm. And then Mm. now sitting back and saying, you know, 
the psalmist wrote that, you mm. know? And so anyway, all those things just kind of the, pr- the broad perspective of black male hate for ourselves. And then of course, you know, for black women, it's ubiquitous as well yes. due to the messages that we receive. Yeah. So I think, um, Similar to that, I'm always hyper-conscious of my body being a problem for someone else. Hmm. Because of what we've made black to be in this society, according to the social construct of race, to be black in this construct is to be a problem. It's not a problem Hmm. in God's eyes. It's not a problem, theologically speaking. It's a problem, socially speaking, so that wherever I go, I have to be aware of the impact my body has on other people. Yeah, yeah. And 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 so that means if we're driving through Southwest Missouri because we go back and forth to places like St. Louis and Kansas City, mm-hmm. I have to be hyper conscious of where we stop for gas. Of course. Matter of fact, we don't stop if we if we can. Because my body entering a gas station in these rural, predominantly white areas where you see Confederate flags mm-hmm. and Trump signs everywhere is going to be a problem for somebody. Or it could be, mm-hmm. right? Even the potentiality mm-hmm. is enough to give you pause. Or if I'm in an elevator with a white woman knowing that literal race riots and massacres have been caused by such situations, Mm. even when no wrongdoing occurred. Um, And even among other black people, right? Sure. The idea that there's this sort of one way to be black. Mm. And when I go down to, uh, you know, move down to the Delta to teach and, my students have been exposed to a limited range of black expressions. Right. And they see my black body, but then they hear my voice Mm. and it Mm. communicates something totally different. I'm hyper conscious all the time of the impact of my physical body on other people. Yeah. Like even, yeah. Voice, uh, mannerisms, expression, what's native to me. And I think that's, that's where the the creeping sense of self-hate comes from is when what's native to me is offensive to you. Mm. And when what's 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 natural to me is threatening to you. Yeah. And I think there's and when just, there's stuff I can't control. Yeah. <laughs> like I mean my I can modu- I can yeah. modulate it to a certain extent, but even what goes on my body, Man, how I look. dress my body, how I carry myself, you know. In certain settings, I know I'm going to be either dismissed or disregarded based upon how I carry myself um, and based upon what I wear. And so I think it leads to this whole idea of constantly having to prove that you're normal, that you're acceptable. And then underlying, though, it's it's the idea that we have to prove to ourselves and to other people that we're worthy. It's all about worth. It's all about dignity. And and I think there are a lot of black men as well. I wasn't even really going to go here, but I, I think I think the popular images of black men do black men a disservice. Whoa. All right. I think they do. I think the popular images of black men are uh, either entertainers or athletes, and they are unrealistic images of what a typical black man looks hmm. like. Hmm. And it's not that if you there even is a typical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like what a what a what a a black man should look like is heavily clouded by af- athletic portrayals, hypersexualization, um, and it makes it seem like man, it was it was so funny. I remember I was in uh I was in college. I just thought of this. I was walking from room to room, and at the time I was a spiritual life director on the campus, which means I was basically the. Uh, pastor to about 52 guys on on a hall and so you know i was walking from room to room it was kind of like the middle of the day and i remember it was but it was warm and so i it was it was an all guys dorm so i just had a a tank top on right so i had a tank top on you know typical you know white beater as they say and um 
And so I walked into the room and then one of the dudes was like, yo, you look, it was a group of white guys. And, you know, I knew. And they were like, yo, you look Jack, man. Yo, you look Jack. You know, just the typical yeah. thing. And um, and I was like, thanks. I caught me off guard because I was just taking something to one of the dudes. And, you know, we was just joking or whatever. And uh, they were like, yo, you got a six pack, bro? And I was like, uh, not really. You know, it was just kind of like a weird question. One of the dudes like interrupted me. He's like, of course he does. He's black. What? I'm dead serious. Like, he's like, of course he does. Like, I didn't even know that people thought that was a thing. <laughs> we are perceived, especially as as men, to have bodies that are capable of violence. Yep. Or very um, impressive feats of sexuality. Yes. And entertainment. And entertainment. Yeah. That's what that's our range. Violence, sexuality, entertainment. Mm-hmm. Or all three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it it was shocking to me because I kind of sat back. I was like, why would you expect that? And there are other black guys on the hall that look nothing like me. Mm-hmm. There are other black men in these contexts that look nothing like me. And why do you have this unrealistic standard? I think the popular images of, of blackness lead to us hating ourselves absolutely and then we go home and I, I feel like even in black households the fear of our bodies being weaponized against us mm. and being weaponized to our detriment causes our parents to downplay the beauty of our bodies and so then it's odd it's awkward for a father to to call his son beautiful you would never do that. You're like, ah, oh, man, you, you look good, man. You know, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you know. And it's it's like this, and so it's like this hyper sense of masculinity. But then it's also like this this element of I can't, I have to be, I have to avoid any sense, any semblance that would be, you know, con- construed as as different sexual orientations. So I can't, I can't look at my brother and say, hey, man, you look good. You look good today, man. Like that's like a, even the way you say it. Right, you did something at Joy and Justice. I think it was so subversive. You were like, "I love you," and you said in front of everybody, "Like, not I love you, man." <laughs> not like, "Oh, we got to put some real masculine testosterone base in it." Right. You know, gruff up your voice. You know, put some hair on your chest. <laughs> the like, male version. Yeah, the male yeah. version. I love you, man. You know, you gotta <laughs> gotta have that grit in your back. <laughs> back your throat. You was like, "Nah, I love you," and it was uncomfortable for me. Because I'm just not used to, I'm not used to receiving that type of love and affection from another man, right? I didn't have that. Like, my father didn't know how to do that with me. Mm -hmm. Even though he loved me really well, Mm -hmm. he didn't know how to do that specific thing. Yeah, yeah. We're getting, like, really deep into Really deep. (laughs) But it is, I mean, like, there's contemporary language now that uses these words, the black body. Mm Mm-hmm all together. And I've seen comments online and in in blog posts and whatnot that's like, you know, why so much emphasis on the body? Like black people are more than just their body, or as as much as you talk about the body, you're making it a problem. Mm -hmm. But everything that we've been talking about right now, as far as love of self and even our ability to love others, is impacted by our embodiedness. And that has particular salience when your body, because the amount of melanin in your skin has been made to be a problem. Yeah. Or it is a problem insofar as you are not enslaved. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it goes back to the commodification of black bodies that is not just in the past, but in the present. Hmm. As we look at particularly athletes, but also entertainers and the way we sort of talk about them, I really hate this term a stable of athletes or a stable oh my goodness. of, you know, players. Oh my goodness. Because that's using direct stable of recruits. animal imagery to describe, if you take American football, 75% of professional players are black. Right. And what is there now? One black head coach? Yeah, I think so. I think Mike Tomlin. Out, out, of, out of 30 plus teams, right? And so it's this... And then in college football, right, there's all these, um, or college sports in general, all this question of do we pay athletes, et cetera, et cetera. You've got, you've got 
in the case of football, black men on the field making millions of dollars mm. for white-owned, white-led yeah. Yeah. institutions, yeah. right? So anyway, you, you you we say the black body because it's not just about the body. Yeah. It's about worth, like you said. It's about our, our existential value and the way society devalues us, calling us anything but a child of God, Man. as they say. Well, I think that kind of naturally leads us into that responsive self-hate like leads to how we deal in relationships. But before we get into that, we have to take a break. So stay tuned as we talk more about black love right here on Pass the Mic. This episode is brought to you in part by Baker Publishing Group. Most of us don't want to spend our lives being time wasters, space takers, binge watchers, or game players. We want to be difference makers. But maybe we make changing the world a little more complex than it really is. Making a difference isn't measured by a viral post or a name on a building. It isn't determined by a following or a fan base. Want to make a difference? Focus on just one person at a time. That's the secret of the way of Jesus. In his newest book, One at a Time, Kyle Eidelman invites us to better understand the surprising habits of Jesus and the power of small things done with great love. He challenges true disciples to fully commit to the unexpected Jesus way of changing the world by loving people one at a time. Baker Bookhouse is pleased to partner with Christianity Today to offer a special discount on your copy of One at a Time. Visit bakerbookhouse.com by February 28th, 2022 and use promo code 1-2022. That's O-N-E-2022 to receive 40% off with free shipping. So we're back talking about black love and, you know, we talked about this idea of hating ourselves and our bodies as black men. And now this kind of transitions into relationships, right? So it's impossible for us to dive into relationships, romantic, dating, without being honest and real about how we view and look at our bodies. But then also how those bodies are perceived and how how those bodies, um, how shall I say this? are perceived by certain demographics of people <laughs> and certain demographics of women as well. And so I'll kind of take the lead here, you know, growing up in a, in a private Christian school environment, you know, it wasn't a lot of black men there and it wasn't a lot of black women there. And so not a lot of teachers, very few students as you continue to rise up in the ranks. And it just led to this mentality, this idea based upon popular culture that there's a problem with black women. There's a problem with black women that the way that they communicate, what they say, how they carry themselves, it's a problem. That's just what everybody was saying without saying it. Like I remember in government class, we had this, um, it was this young lady who had transferred in and she was black and her name was Cassandra. And she, what she used to do was she was very like liberal and she was very like well-versed in that, you know, liberal politics and things of that nature. And I saw the way that she would bring up certain points in the class. And I saw how the white male teacher would speak to her, hmm. right? How he would speak to her was, it had an extra layer of vitriol. Mm. Like he was, he was always kind of very conservative, you know, like right wing. But when he was speaking to that black woman, it was different. And it led one of my, one of the guys that I knew to even mention, he mentioned, you know, in passing, like what she, what she's so upset about. Like we gave her her bathrooms. What? Yeah. Like, so I saw it and then I saw the weaponization of how white men tend to treat black women and it it influences us because this whole white is right idea and theology it's not addressed in our it's not addressed in our churches it's not addressed in our uh, Christian education and so we got a this whole legion of black men that kind of feel as though black women are not worthy oh, of man. love and attention. Woo! 
the one of the primary obstacles of black romantic love is not from the outside inside of us. We haven't dealt with our trauma. We haven't dealt with our issues. We haven't dealt with our self-hate. And then we transpose that onto black women and we find them less desirable or less attractive based upon Western Euro beauty standards and our expectation that they should and shouldn't do certain things as it relates to us. And so for me, at young, growing up, all my crushes were white women. Man, look. <laughs> like all my crushes. So yeah. it's like, oh, that's what you're going to do. You go to college, you date a white woman, you're going to end up being interracially married. Like yeah. this is just like this context of, oh, well, this is what it's supposed to be. And it was that proximity also to whiteness. That proximity, too. yes. It was going to give you a certain proximity to whiteness that you wouldn't have if you dated a black woman. And then it was like the pool was so small because of access that it's like, well, it's only it's only three of them. I don't, I don't like any of them. And it's like you, you're treating them like it's like a totally warped view of relationships, romance and, and black women. So, you know, again, yeah. getting, getting really real, getting really real. My- I, I, and, and this is just I'm just sharing my experience. That's all I'm saying. I'm just sharing my experience. And for me, I thought it was safe. It was safe to date white women. I thought that was the safe thing to do. Wow. And I was like, that's, that's okay. You're going to get you a nice woman. You guys grow together, have some kids, and then you're still going to be in this Christian context. And even more so, it'll make you very desirable to multi-ethnic churches. Right. It'll make you very desirable. Yes. We right? have to talk about <laughs> you know? the fact that it's, it's rewarded for black men. So that was me. Right. And, and I remember even in, in college, like one of my friends was like, um, he was in the uh, the frat that I was in, as we talked about last episode. And he was like, yo, he was like, what's going on with you and so-and-so? And I was like, oh, you know, just talking. And by that time, we was actually in a relationship. But I was I was kind of, they were so black, but I wasn't really wanting to reveal that, oh, we in a relationship, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like, he was like, man, you know what? You got to be careful, bro. You got to be careful. You know, don't, don't, don't let her do stuff you don't tell you to do stuff you don't want to do. And it was like weird. I was just kind of like, what you, and he was trying to put me on game. Like he was just trying to be like, look, man, wait, find yourself, <laughs> you know, think through who you are before you dive deep into a relationship and do some things that you regret and then end uh... up feeling like you're caught up, you know, in that particular context. I'm oversharing, but I'm just saying, I think a lot of black I mean, men feel this yes. and we don't talk about it. We and don't. then we just acting like, you know, we're acting like it's not a thing. It's a thing, guys. So the witness of black love has to include the impact that white centeredness and white supremacy has had on the ability of black men to love black women. And unfortunately, the impact has not been positive or salutary mm-hmm. so that, like you were saying, what's comfortable, what's easy, the path of least resistance in some ways is for a black man to get romantically involved with a white woman. Right. And I remember right. my first crush in kindergarten mm-hmm. was literally a blonde haired, blue eyed little girl named Megan. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea where that came from. Right. Like I, I are I don't remember a lot of black girls being in my class. There were mm-hmm. a lot of black there were a lot of Latinas. Um but I don't know what of, of all of them, of all of them. Right. Right. Well we we wouldn't remember because we're not trained to recognize and remember the yeah, things. Yes. Well I mean they're, obviously they're invisible. You, know, you, you get us. all these cultural cues, right? Like like up until recently all Disney princesses <laughs> yeah, have been yeah. fair skinned, you know, and European features and button noses and all of these things. So even as a kid, we're being inundated with images about what is attractive right. and and it's far worse for women because they're if if they're women of color in general and black women in particular they're constantly being told subtly that they're unattractive yeah and not because people are going around in the movies and saying you're ugly they might get that in real life actually yeah. but but because you're not represented and then what happens yeah. like you were saying with with black men is I mean, we got to have a conversation at some point about the downsides of integration, <laughs> like yeah. like desegregation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, 
it's put us in certain places like colleges and universities mm-hmm. that have greater access to resources and could potentially help us professionally or something, yeah. but does something socially too, which is put you around a lot of white people. And mm. that, the, again, like you were talking, that affects the quote unquote pool of potential partners yeah. that you have, which is a very natural sociological thing, right? Where you are is going to um, dictate in large part who you partner with. Right. Um, and so when you're in these, and then you go to, you graduate college if you go, and then you go into a workplace that's predominantly white, a neighborhood that's predominantly white, right. you know, send your kids to schools that are predominantly white. Right. And then there's a subtle sort of reward mm-hmm. for black men for being involved with white women. Like, yeah. And, and I think, you know, I, I want to make it clear, like, I think, you know, the dynamics of interracial relationships and marriages should be addressed by people who are in interracial relationships and marriages. So, you know, we leave space for those people to, you know, those those of you who are especially listening, who are in those situations to address that and to discuss that. And, and it doesn't mean that the love or the relationship is an authentic, Absolutely valuable, real. No. Yeah. We just yeah. have to what we're talking about dynamics for us, for us, it's just really important. And it's a, it's an important component of my story and how I found myself and how God kind of led me into what I'm doing now, that this was the journey, that it was such a stark way of perceiving desirability that it took for me kind of this wake up call. (laughs) Like it took this honest wake up call and these honest conversations with either elders within our community, my parents, um, to see like it was it similar for my father, you know, was it similar for my grandfather? Was it similar for the people around me? And it was, right? It was. There was still that pull. There was still that idea of desirability. And, and so I'll just speak for me, and then I'll let you go from here. I'll just speak for me. I have not done enough as a black man to promote black love. I've not done enough. I haven't shown the beauty of it. I haven't shown the range of it. I haven't shown the fun. I haven't shown the, the difficulty of it. I just have always felt like that was a part of my life that I didn't want to share. Mm-hmm. That was like a part of my life that I wanted to keep with my small circle of influence or the people around me or my family, you know, keep that part at home. But I, I think, think that's there's, okay. Yeah, for sure. And you know, there's, this is like a weirdly personal medium and I don't see my audience. So I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> yep. I don't know your facial, facial expressions. expressions yeah. I don't know your hand gestures or your body language, but I, I will say I haven't done enough to challenge the people around me to really promote the beauty of who we are and who we are together in relationship. Um, and I think we always tend we tend to do it from the context of kids and you know whatever it may be. But I think there's there's just a range of promoting the idea that man, it's beautiful. Like that that type of love is really beautiful, and it's so subversive because there are a lot of kids who are growing up in these environments, whether it's multi ethnic churches or white Christian schools or neighborhoods or colleges, and they're not hearing that. They're just getting bombarded with the idea of, okay, well, it seems like if I want access, I have to go this route. It seems like if I want connections, I have to go that route. And what a challenge it is for us as black men. I mean, the rising number of black women who are unmarried. And want to be. And want to be married, desire marriage Mm -hmm. to a black man but cannot find any in their context or cannot find any who will be faithful. That's, that's a us thing. And we can, we can draw lines and we can draw connections and we can talk about context. And I believe in all that, but that's something we have to take responsibility for. And I feel that burden as a pastor, Mm. (laughs) as I disciple, as I, as I raise people up, um, that there's a challenge that must take place from black men to other black men. Definitely. And that burden, we can't speak for other people in different situations, but we can't speak for ourselves. I need to do more. Yeah. And so there, you mentioned this at the beginning where, you know, we on this episode can only speak out of our experience. Right, um, right. 
And so one of the things that was brought to mind during this conversation is the complexity of self-love for mixed race individuals. Mm -hmm. Right, Um, right. People whose parents are from different racial and ethnic backgrounds. And then the question is, who am I? Whose am I? Mm-hmm. Um, what culture do I claim? And even if you say both, as much as you say both, there, there's going to be a, a culture or a tradition that's more predominant, whether because it's mm-hmm. advantageous in your context to highlight one over the other, or you know through experience and study, you gravitate toward one. I can't speak to that experience. I just know that it's out there, and there's an incredible complexity around it yeah. That that that's even distinct from the challenge of yeah. people who identify as as black, yeah, um, and how that how that affects the way we love, right. and the way we live, and, and and our relationships. And then I haven't done nearly enough to uplift black women, yeah. And honestly, they have so much to teach us about love mm. because when I look at the way black women love and support one another. It is a clinic in loving your neighbor. Um, Complete strangers of black women I've seen take up for one another, Uh, whether like it's a a convenience store situation where something's going sideways and somebody will jump in and intervene because they know what's at stake. Um, Whether it is the loyalty of black women in friendships, um, our sisters in truth's table, you know, the way they love and support one another. And the way they love and support us. And us too, because they know, first of all, they're just godly people and they love others, but they also know that their survival is wrapped up in the flourishing of other people. Hmm. Um, Wow. Which is, so we've talked about love of self, love of others in a romantic way. There's another aspect to talk about, which we touched on, is black men showing affection for one another yeah. in, a, in a friendship yeah. way. I remember this. You remember that cover with Michael B. Jordan? Um, and Ryan Coogler. And Ryan yeah. Coogler. Yeah. And I don't know. He was like, Jordan was like cradling, cradling Coogler's head. It was very intimate. Mm-hmm. But clearly they're boys. They're yeah. buddies, yeah. right? They've been through a lot. They love each other. And that caused such a stir among some fe- some people. These, you know, rumblings of homophobia and what are yeah, appropriate yeah, expressions. Yeah. And like all of that, even just that conversation having taken place makes black men more hesitant to express, you know, affection to one another or it can. Man. Um, so, so there's all these dimensions to it, right? Yeah. Um, That's a conversation I think we need to have um, in the context of, a, of an event. Like we really need to talk about black men and as a as how we relate to one another i think we really need you know conference tour etc (laughs) you know as we talk about these types of things i think there needs to be a conversation with black men about that because i i think a lot of black men are in this kind of dead zone kind of you know no man's land of trying to figure out what's acceptable expression and especially in the christian context we have such a a white manhood perspective and so then it's like hyper we can we need to unpack that it's hyper it's hyper masculine and 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 so we adopt all the 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 tenets of white you know manhood so now we hunt and we fish and we shoot and we and you know i'm not saying hunting and fishing is is intrinsically white but like those mentalities of we go on these trips and they're like to be a real man yeah that's what it means to be a real man it's the physicality and it's this and it's you know and and I think sometimes we adopt also the self hate within that space too, and we adopt the the hate for black women that's endemic in that space as well. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of questions about us defining manhood. I think our challenge would be for everyone who is listening, especially black men, like how do we define ourselves mm. outside of mm-hmm. the white gaze and outside of the popular culture and Christian evangelicalism? Outside of how that's, those spheres would say we should act, how do we define who we are and who are you as a man and what makes you a man and how are you expressing your manhood and how are you expressing that manhood in love, in love. and in relationship? That's got to come from us 
And that push and that accountability has to come from us. And if it doesn't come from us, someone else is going to define that for us. And then they're going to critique how we live out our expression of that definition. So I think it's important for us to sit back and say, well, now the the task at hand is to define who you are. Who are you? And as you're listening, don't passively engage with that. Now, I'm a black man. We know that. (laughs) What does that mean? I'm a black woman. What does that mean in its full expression? Yeah. And that definition is the great challenge of the movement. What is the witness of black love to define oneself? To define oneself not using the categories of the oppressor. Decolonizing our love. And so one aspect we haven't mentioned yet is black love for our children and our youth. Yeah. And I know I'm talking to That's a whole episode on... Generation, um, nah. The first thing I say, whatever it's uh, kids and you, black youth, is I'm a dad. <laughs> that's a dad gang, man. Yes. So that's that's number one for sure. So I think that's a whole episode. I think we need to maybe touch on that. You know, an addendum to part five. You never right. know. But I think it's important for us to talk about that. But we can't even dive into that if we don't discuss who we are and and how we are. In relation to God. So one thing we haven't really talked about, because really it's a running theme in, in the entire you know podcast, is um, love for God. And we've referenced, especially at the top of this episode, a lot about the image of God from Genesis to uh, Genesis um, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, 28, where it talks about all human beings being made in the image and likeness of God. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Black theology has done is to highlight the fact that it includes our color, that the image is inclusive of the amount of melanin in our skin, and it dignifies us in a way that a white supremacist society constantly devalues, right? Yeah. So yeah. so when we call black love, especially family love, radical there's a historical component to it to where enslaved people could be bought and sold and the ties of family, uh, parents and children, brothers and sisters, grandparents and grandchildren, etc., could be severed at a moment's notice, mostly for economic gain, but also sometimes as punishment. Enslavers would actually use the threat of selling you or your relative and saying that you'll never see them again. So act act the way I want you to, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so in that context, then you need to be reminded by your creator of who you truly are beyond those categories of whiteness and blackness that have been invented and, and foisted upon us. So that's truly a, a, a revolutionary kind of act, and it's encapsulated in society in different ways. So in um, the 1960s and 70s, a lot of people walk around saying black is beautiful. Right. Right. You know, and and that's yeah. that's that's a that's a that's a protest. It's an assertion and a protest. So it asserts that I, in my full embodied black self, am beautiful, desirable, attractive, not just on the physical side, but on the soul side too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a protest against people who would call black anything but beautiful. And then you get contemporary, or, or you get other folks like uh, King talked about this sense of somebodiness. Yes, yes. And there's the chant, I am somebody. Mm-hmm. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. Yep. I am somebody. And it emphasizes our humanity and our agency, our ability to impact the world around us in positive ways, when in so many ways, black people have been disempowered and told that you can't, or you shouldn't, or you won't, or, and you can't be in charge of your own destiny. So that sense of somebodyness. And then, of course, in contemporary times, the phrase Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. yeah. has so much to do with black love. Yeah. yeah. It's saying that we matter enough to preserve our life at a basic minimum, mm-hmm. but also it matters enough that we should uh, dismantle the systems of, of injustice and oppression that keep our bodies from mattering to other people. Yes, yes, yes. So there's all these sort of, it's, it's deeply theologically rooted, but, but 
I believe it's the fingerprint of God upon us that in every major era of history and every social movement for racial justice, you get some sort of verbal expression and many other expressions of black dignity. Wow, man, that's black love. And it's it's interesting because the witness can't continue going if we don't love well. You know, we can't continue going if we don't prioritize what love is. So, man, I hope you guys have enjoyed this, but you got to stay tuned. Of course, we have our favorite segment coming up right after this break. Hey, everybody, this is Tyler. Listen, Pass the Mic would not be here. We would not be who we are if not for the support of each one of you, our listeners. So we thank you. We appreciate you. But we also want to offer each of you the chance to help this show to keep going and growing by heading over to iTunes right now and writing us a review for this podcast. Just saying a few words of how this show is encouraging or inspiring you. It helps PTM greatly. And it doesn't cost you a dime to do it. Now, that being said, if you do have the funds to support the show at any time, we encourage you to head over to patreon.com forward slash pass the mic to learn more about how your dollars can help fuel the growth of this podcast. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash pass the mic. And we're back here for everybody's favorite segment, Three Questions with Jamar and Tyler. I think everybody really enjoys this segment. You say I want, everybody. It, listen, I'm just speaking it as though There might be one does. person. <laughs> They're like, I'm cutting it off. The episode over. <laughs> Go ahead, bro. You get the first one. Okay. Since we're talking about black love this episode, who was okay. the first person you kissed? Ooh. <laughs> uh, a young lady named Judith. Yeah, it was third grade. Ah. She kissed me. Oh, in, in church. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of those, you know, kiss of greetings. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Greet right. one another with a holy kiss. Man. <laughs> she saw her. She, she saw her chance. She took. You know, I got to in the sanctuary. Yeah, I got to applaud the boldness. It was. It was totally unbeknownst to me. It was just like I guess a spontaneous impulse for her. But hey, you know what? I, I just I said you know what <laughs> I was not expecting it I was like this is a violation of my privacy this is a violation of my personal space my, but it happened my my it, my, my it happened I experienced it I moved on um <laughs> number one for you everyone has those recurring bad dreams right what's your recurring nightmare mm. most of my dreams are just like weird where I can't like where did this stuff come from what um is my recurring dread mm. is not sleeping wow yeah so I, I wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't i don't think it's quite insomnia but um sleep used to be something i look forward to mm-hmm. now it's something i sort of feel like i have to get mentally prepared for because it could be a long night of mm. tossing and turning mm. or whatever mm. it might be. No, so, that's yeah. Real. That's real. Okay. Number uh, two for me. Who's your relationship goals couple? Ah, man. Relationship goals couple. Number one, I hate this question because I hate this whole idea of relationship goals. Because <laughs> we don't know them people. They just, they they make a real good video on Instagram yep. or whatever. Man, that is so hard. I think I would say um, my my knee-jerk reaction is pretty obvious. It would be the Obamas. That's probably my knee-jerk reaction. But I think how how Will and Jada work together hmm. mm-hmm. and how they support one another, and it seems like they're having a bunch of fun. So I think they might they might be right there with them. Mm-hmm. You know, those are like popular couples, yeah. you know. Um. Yeah, I think that's that's where I'll stay. Um, what's your favorite smell and why? Teak wood. What? Teak wood. If you go to Bath and Body Works, the male collection. Wow. <laughs> Let's get it, man. Come on. Let's I have a candle it. in my office, and 
it's awesome. It's it's just this sort of um you know, like almost like a woodsy, leathery, minty mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of smell that mm-hmm. it it's it's sort of distinctly masculine without being like, oh, he's wearing like Drakkar. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. It's not like that. Um, <laughs> sure. No, that makes sense. Yeah, so that's a good one. Okay. All right. My final question. All right. There's a theme here. So um, favorite love song. Oh, man. I might have to pull up the playlist here. Your boy got a playlist. Your boy got a playlist. Your boy got a playlist. Man, I, I think the song that is kind of from a modern standpoint is Pink and White by Frank Ocean. Ah, nice. That song wrong with Frank Ocean. Yo, that song is crazy. Um, It's like a perfect song. It's like a perfect song. Like all time, it's probably uh, something from Otis Redding. Hmm. Oh, Stand Stand By Me by Benny King. Oh, wow. Stand By Me, of course. I'm trying to... You put me on the spot, so I had to remember that one. All right, finally, this is a pretty simple one. If you could live in any country, what would it be? Now, no, it ain't America. No. <laughs> uh, no, it ain't the U.S. of A. So, I would love to live on the continent of Africa. I have not visited West or East Africa. Uh, so, I can't speak from experience okay. about which particular country. Okay. Um, but, yeah. I mean, Du Bois spent his time in Ghana. Yeah. Uh I believe Stokely Carmichael did as well, Kwame Touré. Okay. Um I've never been though. Yeah, but so we need to do that. Somebody bring, bring us, us out. over there. <laughs> and I can say definitively. Bring us out, for sure. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this series, Can I Get a Witness? This has been Part 5, The Witness of Black Love. We want to hear your comments, your stories. You can reach out to us at underscore Pastor Mike, at The Witness BCC, at Burns23, at Jamar Tisby. And we will see you next time right here on Pass the Mic. Pass the Mic.